There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on June the 28th, 2010. Now I always suggest that the newcomers look into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, look into the archive section, you'll find hundreds of talks I've given over the past and you can download these for free, these are audio talks. Remember all the sites you see listed on the front page, bookmark them for future use in case you get problems with one or the other and plus... Remember, all these sites have the same audios. They all have transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given in English for PrintUp. And if you go into Alan Watt Sentient Sentinel.eu, you'll get the transcripts in other languages as well. So it's a good variety to choose from. And while you're there, remember that you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't uh, accept the cash or from advertisers. Most hosts get their, their paychecks from that. That's what keeps them going very well, too, by the way. And this gives me more leeway to say what I want to say. The ads you hear in the show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN for this airtime. It pays for the equipment and the staff and their bills. So if you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website, remember there's books for sale there I've written. And they're different from any other book that you'll get on the market because I show you the cons behind the scenes have been used down through the ages up to the present time. It's far more sophisticated now, of course, with computer age and with massive uh, behavioral psychology and, and various other branches of the social sciences involved to control the public. So it's much more complex today. But devious minds are devious minds down through all the ages, and the same types of characters get good employment for governments. So go in there, buy the books. That will keep me going, hopefully. I'll trickle over. And remember, from the U.S. to Canada, you can pay by uh, PayPal, for donations or purchasing, just send a separate email with the PayPal donation. I'll get it out to you. And the U.S. can also use a personal check to Canada. They can go into their post office and get an international postal money order as well. And some people just send cash, and that's okay as well. Across the rest of the world, you can get the choices of Western Union. You've got MoneyGram. You've got PayPal again for donation and for purchase. And you can send cash too. Some people just send cash. And so far that always gets through. And I will get them shipped out to you as soon as possible. Now, there's discs as well. Remember, 50 shows per disc on some of these discs. Uh, and that's worth buying because believe you me, the sites will get pulled eventually. I've got problems all the time with the main servers. I get problems with the uploads from the providers because you see, we're not living in a free society whenever we really were. Yes, they'll make money off you, but at the same time, uh, the military-industrial complex long ago set out real organizations, private companies, to make sure that technology, especially information, would be handled and controlled by them. It was far easier than giving you a state-run organization. Then we'd all know, just like the Soviets did, that everything that came out was propaganda. This way, of course, they give you... um, 
the internet, which is shortly going to get pulled, I'm sure, for most people, well, a lot of people, unless you're into child pornography or something like that, they probably leave you alone because they need that stuff to keep terrifying us that the pedophiles are living in your area. It's awfully handy for censorship of others, of course. And they always drop these pedophiles every so often and use it as an excuse as to why we must lose all our rights for everybody else who's not into that kind of stuff. But that's the tricks we live under. It's a world full of tricks. And uh, really, we scratch the surface of it. You have to go into the, the real old books, heavy books, boring books, to find out the continuity of the groups that work together to bring in a new world order. And it has been on the go for an awful long time. I might touch on some of that tonight when I come back from these messages. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix. I won't touch so much on the, the riots they had at the weekend with the G20, because it's well covered in all the major mainstream, except to say, of course, that everybody knows who watched any of it at all, that uh, the guys who were dressed with the black outfits, uh, the agitators were scattered throughout the crowds and um, firebombed one of the cop cars and stuff like that. You know, they bring in international teams for this. They're for hire across the world. Uh, that was even in a CBC documentary, uh, an actual movie they made. Uh, and uh, they hired a bunch from, from Britain and elsewhere. And so they appear international. They come into the town for the riots. They dress up. They get in amongst the people and they firebomb stuff. And the cops, uh, the cops uh, get turned on the other people you see who are standing around there. So this is standard procedure. So if you're spending all this kind of money on security uh, and the public aren't happy, you have to give them a show for something to try and validate why you're spending so much of their money when we're supposedly all broke to wine and dine and lay on the prostitutes for the the, the big boys that are brought in uh, for the little brandy get-together in their 10-minute chat. That's how farcical it is. They just sign papers that, of course, the Sherpas, the ones who go and do all the legwork leg for a year or more before the meeting, they, do, they, they draft all the stuff up and they're just signed into agreements, you see, where these guys go and get wined and dine with their 20-course meals and all that kind of stuff. And the kinky stuff they get into afterwards, too. And it really is kinky. You know, it's been admitted before that when they were, when they were in Vancouver, uh, when it came out what the budget was for it and so on, and a bit of the breakdown, um, they supplied male and female prostitutes for these uh, dignitaries. Dignitaries. Can we call them dignitaries and right honorables and all that stuff? Um, and they didn't mention to the ages of their victims, uh, because, uh, you see, with your diplomatic immunity, apparently all, all these rules apply to everyone else are waived to give them uh, their little jaded uh, perk, you see. They're so jaded, they need perks all the time. And someone was telling me recently, uh, who covered uh, one of their meetings in Edinburgh a few years back, uh, they actually had some of the females come into Whirlpool Bass, covered in, um, it was, it's called Camp Coffee, it's a liquid coffee. And uh, they did odd things in the bathtubs with the dignitaries too. That's the kind of world we're really living in, you see, because the ones at the top have never followed the laws or even the remnants of any religious social culture uh, of the people that they rule over. Never have. The psychopaths get near there, you see. 
and they're allowed to do this stuff. And they're not the bosses, believe you me. You see, if a person really was a boss of these countries and turned enemy, they'd be bumped off so quickly by special forces and, and assassins. Therefore, when they're all, all on board, they, you know, they're all authorized to be in position over those countries. That, that's a reality of life. It's a reality of has been your whole life long, in fact. And I'll just touch on one article here. It was to do from the BBC and Blackwater. Now, when they privatize companies, and NSA do this, CIA do it, MI5, MI6 do it, they create legitimate corporations and big corporations, big technological especially corporations, uh, that, who supply you with what they claim is the latest stuff for you to play with electronically. And you do, and you think it is the latest, and they put all their their ads in, in their magazines which keep you thinking you're on the cutting edge, which is utter nonsense, because what's available technological-wise is so far ahead of anything you can imagine even in sci-fi, and all, to, all the time. But they use private companies, you see, to do dirty works, because private companies are not responsible to any general public. And here's another uh, team that they use, too. We've heard before Blackwater, they changed their name recently. And this is CIA defends Blackwater contract worth $100 million. The head of the CIA has defended awarding a large contract to the controversial security company formerly known as Blackwater. And it says... Uh, Director of the CIA, Leon Panatta, said the company's bid was U.S. $26 million less than its nearest rival. That means nothing, that's Pierre. Because they always say in their contracts, you see, that the, it might not go to the lowest bidder. It's already prearranged, in other words. That's what that means. <laughs> the contract worth $100 million is to provide security at U.S. consulates in the cities of Herat and Mazar-e-Sharaf. Blackwater guards allegedly opened fire on armed civilians in Baghdad in 2007, killing 17 people. See, the guys who go into this uh, are actually mercenaries who've been through regular militaries in other countries, and these are the few that really enjoy it. They enjoy killing folk, you see, especially ones that can't fight back. In the wake of the killings, the company rebranded itself XE Services, X Services. The company ended its operations in Iraq in 2009 in line with a ban by the government. The U.S. government said in January 2009 that it would not renew the company's task orders. The new contract with the company initially runs for a year but could be extended to 18 months. In a rare television interview with ABC News on Saturday, Leon Panatta said the CIA had come to rely on such companies to provide security for forward bases. I don't know if you know that they're building um, bases across the, the Middle East and elsewhere that will last over a 100 years with the building uh, techniques they're putting into them. And this follows along a strategy plan first put across by Gene Kirkpatrick, who was brought up in the socialist, uh, actually really communist school, if you go into her history. And Ronald Reagan, Reagan picked her up. And after hearing her speak at the Jewish American Jewish Congress, talking about this very project, the need to, instead of going to war and setting up temporary bases, America's role would be maybe 50, 60, 70 years long. Therefore, why don't we go in and build permanent bases? Reagan picked her up and um, put her on a panel for this, and that was the start of the, the creation of the permanent bases across the world. 
You see, the elite might move, and they, prob- they probably will move. They're always moving uh, at the end of ages, and uh, they want to make sure they've got the best places to be protected in for one, for one reason. So anyway, uh, black water, of course, never fades away. Like none of these things fade away. They just change their names and get the same bids and go on as they had before. So it says here that XE provided a bid that underbid everyone else by about 26 million in a panel that we had said that they can do the job that they have shaped up to their act. So there really was not much choice but to accept that contract. Mr. Panetta explained rubbish. If it was an extra 28 million or 6 million, they'd have given it to some other group. But Blackwater is approved for this. Blackwater even has been training the Canadian troops in Canada. It's quite something, eh? Everything's farmed out now. Everything's farmed out. It says, it hit the headlines when four of his bodyguards were ambushed in the Iraq city of Fallujah and their bodies left hanging for a bridge over the Euphrates River. Earlier this month, the company was put up for sale. In other words, it's changed its name and probably the same shareholders still hold it because they won't let this go away. It's too vital a part of their uh, forward strategy to patrol and protect the VIPs within these Massive structures are building across the world. Full airports and everything with the best in materials and really cities for themselves, military cities. Now, last week I mentioned Technocracy Inc. Uh, they came out of a, a, a movement in the 1800s into the 1900s. H.G. Wells was a member. Many of the top ones were a member. And you'll find that ties in exactly with Carl Quigley, where he talked about the Council on Foreign Relations, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, um, and their role in society, because he says they're often mistaken for left-leaning um, ideologies, but it's, they're not really communists, but they work with communists in every other group. That's what he said in Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment. What what they are are technocrats, really. Uh, very rich, of course, the richest people on the planet who own uh, the minerals across the world. And that's what the Milner Group that, that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, that's what their main job was, to grab the world's resources, because they believed that everything was finite, you see. All energy, everything they need to survive long into the future uh, would be needed by them, the elite themselves, to go on into the future. And therefore... They came up with a technocracy, a, a, a rulership in a sense, by technocrats. Uh, people, as uh, George Bernard Shaw said, who would be supermen, people who could understand technology, know its applications, and be able to properly provide for themselves, for their own um, sustainability in the future, regardless of the herd, the masses down below. Uh, and this became the Royal Institute for International Affairs-CFR, by the way. They're always pushing these same socialist policies that, that seem to be socialist. And I say seem to be socialist, as Quigley said. It's a different kind of... So it's more like fascism, really, or Nazism. Because they plan to go down through the ages, their offspring being the better-breeded type, with inte- intelligence and so on. Uh, and take care of these resources and use them properly for their own maintenance and sustainability, not for ours. In fact, we, most of us have to die off. And I mentioned, too, the H.G. Wells, um, who also was a member of this group in his day, uh, belonging to the Fabian Society, funded by the Astor family, 
Lord Astor, as was in fact the setup of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. H.G. Uh, Wells was one of the biggest writers pushing technology and pushing this, the technological age for the masters to rule the world. And he also talked, along with Bernard Shaw, about killing off and get rid of the useless eaters, all the masses. I mentioned as well uh, that he published in his own book, Things to Come, uh, in 1934, that in the future, about now, you see, uh, in the future he said they will use energy credits to for money. So if you think you're just going through a stumbling happenstance, strange um, Alice in Wonderland uh, crisis after crisis scenario uh, with everything happening by chance, you, you, you'll never ever get what's really happening. And if you can't read the deep books, you'll never grasp it. And I'll go into some of this after this break. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Just talking about what I mentioned last Friday uh, and you look into last Friday to get the links and really look uh, up these sites that I gave you to do with this this uh, society, this this technocracy, Inc. Because it's important you realize it's not new. It's mandated from the top. The biggest bankers in the planet have always been part of it. And uh, Cecil Rhodes himself was set out to grab the resources of the world, an awful lot of them. Then Milner took over doing the same thing right up through World War One, World War II. They set up the United Nations, by the way, this same group, uh, to manage the world's affairs and bring the perfect society into uh, reality. But it was to be based eventually with, with eventually killing off uh, the useless eaters step by step, not all at once, of course, so, we're all, so that we don't panic, but enough to step up the death rate and they believe that themselves should come through this, you see. And in 19, as I say, Wells himself did publish his book, uh, Things to Come, Sheba Things to Come, and he mentioned energy credits would be used. You see the same thing through the Star Trek series as well, when they're asked, what kind of money do you use in that century when they come back from the future? And he says, um, he says we get a form of, of credits, you know, and privileges. Now, this... Technocracy Inc. Uh, has another, uh, has, has a lot of uh, good stuff on its own site, and they're still going well and strong today, managed by the big boys, and I'm sure the NSA is in it too, and it mentions Energy Distribution Card, and this is from an article that was published in their magazine, Technocracy Magazine, July 1937. It says, that which ceases to function ceases to exist. As each day passes, it becomes more evident that our socio-economic structure is unsustainable. Where have you heard that before? Uh, in the technological scientific age in which we live. That's for the energy distribution card published in July 1937. These are the guys behind the greening movement, by the way, and sustainability movement. Same organization, Royal Institute of International Affairs, DASH, CFR trilateral and so on. And they have various enterprises on the go, especially in technology. Uh, they have branches off into transhumanism because they themselves expect to carry on their gene pools as the rest of us die off. You see, they always did that. 
And I'm going to give you a link tonight to a site you've got to connect it to the, the last one I gave you on Friday. Because this ties right in with the ties in with the Unabomber who went to university with a lot of these present guys I'm going to mention and who targeted some of these guys. And it just had this vague thing in the paper that the Unabomber was against technology. No, the guy was targeting guys in this particular organization who, who know where they're going and who's funding them and who's in with them, the biggest powers on the planet. This article here is called The English Ideology and Wired Magazine by Mark Stallman. It says, Last year a critical essay entitled The Californian Ideology and Richard Barbrook and Andrew Cameron, University of Westminster, appeared on the Internet and quickly became a focal point for growing criticism of the glossy and widely influential Wired Magazine. And you'll find out as I go on, if you, if you, those who've got attention span will get something out of this. However, the author's difficulty in sorting out the origins of the ideas behind Wired and its version of the digital revolution was painfully obvious in their essay. I'd like to argue that the group which has consistently promoted the worldview expressed by Wired and, in effect, publishes and writes the magazine today isn't American at all, it's the English if anything, Wired represents yet another attempt to take to invade American culture and to undermine American political and economic initiative, another of the attempts which have categorized American relations with the English for many centuries. Wired magazine is not an American institution, nor is it even directly Californian, although its association with San Francisco is certainly undeniable. And that's true because when the members came up to Vancouver to set up the, the, the Canadian base, and it's still there today. And its ideology is also not nearly as novel as Barbrook, Cameron, and some other European commentators seem to suggest, although arguably it is appearing in a new and therefore potentially confusing form. Each of the magazine's elements, including free market economics, hedonistic lifestyle, techno-utopianism, that's Wells, you see, techno-utopianism, and crucially complete disdain for the uniqueness of human consciousness, are all specifically and historically English. For that matter, the magazine's sponsors are all English or self-confessed Anglophiles. Its themes are largely English in origin, and its strategy of world domination through techno-utopian revolution is English, specifically H.G. Wells, to the core. Indeed, Wired is a house organ for the modern political expression of British radical liberalism and its philosophical partner, British radical empiricism. Politically, philosophically, financially, and psychologically, Wired is a concrete expression of the English ideology. The Wired magazine project began when the director of MIT... Now, anything to do with MIT is Pentagon, folks, for those who really don't know it. So it's MIT's media lab, Nicholas Negroponte. A lot of folk who might listen might know that name. Big player in all of this. An Anglophile whose ideal digital slave is an A1 artificial intelligence spawned robotic English butler. Plucked Luis Rosetto and Jane Metcalf from obscurity in San Francisco's European sister city, the other Anglo-Dutch experiment, Metropolis Amsterdam. Before Wired, Rosetta's greatest previous literary achievement had been a book describing the high-budget nudie shenanigans at the filming of Caligula. This movie, in turn, was the boldest effort by Penthouse Magazine's Bob Gussioni, whose introduction to porn production was under English tutelage in Tangier, and who sent his sons to British military finishing schools. More about this 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watford, cutting through the matrix and reading an article that's very interesting if you have a memory and can retain it because it ties in with last Friday's talk to do with those who were into the culture creation and complete distortion industry because their idea was to destroy all that was, to make room for what was. They brought in the hippie movement and all this kind of stuff. The guys who all ran it were members of the military or had recently left high military positions as officers to bring you the hippie movement and LSD, drugs and rock and roll and all that kind of stuff, free love, etc. The same thing that Wells, by the way, was pushing in the late 1800s and right through into the 1900s. And, as I said here, the movie in turn was the boldest effort by Penthouse Magazine's Bob Gusioni, whose introduction to porn production was under English tutelage in Tangier, and who sent his sons to British military finishing schools. You'd be surprised how the military threw all of the stuff that helped to destroy society, because that had to destroy the family unit, and everybody panting with their tongues hanging out when they hit about 12 now, apparently. They've been very successful. No one can bond. So it was all part of the ongoing strategy of destruction of everything that stood up against them cohesively. There's nothing coherent left, you see. Now, Negro Ponce himself had a brother up in the, in the uh, different U.S. governments, I think, too, always up in the military side of things. Uh, so he's Negro Ponce's apparent goal was to meld Rosetto Metcalf with the now-flagging San Francisco-based Whole Earth Project. Now, I think it was, um, I think it was uh, Brand who brought out the Whole Earth Project that was uh, how to get back to nature. So they had no intention of getting you back to nature. It was hoping you'd all fall for it and not get married and be anti-technology. Therefore, they'd have a real dumbed-down population while they'd soared ahead themselves with technology and be easier to dominate. So that was part of the strategy. It says, uh, with the whole... And these are the guys, as I say, that the Unabomber all knew. <laughs> So the whole project of his longtime associate, Stuart Brand, who previously contributed to the book marketing brochure Media Lab. First to join the Wired editorial team was Brand protege and Whole Earth director Kevin Kelly. He took over the project. And what was built builds an ambitious relaunch of the original effort designed to amp up the graphics, capture consumer product advertisers, and spearhead the now-digital techno-utopian world revolution. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll were now tied, uh, wired, and wired was now wired. Wired, which positioned itself as the journal of this post-psychedelic world revolution, was launched with seed money from Negra Ponzi, buying him the back page and ultimately a bestseller, and from game designer Charlie Jackson. But the glossy mock-up failed to attract the crucial second round of investment, and a wired appeared to be stillborn until Negra Ponzi introduced them to the San Francisco-based private bank, Sterling Payot, which fronted the money for the magazine's launch. Continued existence, however, was still in doubt until notoriously Anglophile, a polite word for English in American clothing, publisher C. Newhouse's advanced publications stepped in for the last push. It says, no, despite its name, the New House published magazine, the New Yorker, is actually not an American publication. It's English. 
In this tumultuous process involving financial reorganizations, whatever notion of editorial independence which might have been initially entertained at Wired were quickly contained. The editorial content of the magazine from its inception has been heavily influenced by the larger utopian, again that word utopian, agendas of Brandt and his whole earth to Wired educational colleague Kevin Kelly. In particular, the multinational scenarios planning company co-founded by Brandt and previous London-based Royal Dutch Shell, futurist Peter Schwartz, the Global Business Network, has been decisive in shaping Wired's content. From promoting GBN's consultants endlessly with cover stories and interviews to actually producing a special issue on the future totally with GBN resources, Wired handed over its entire editorial reins to GBN and its new Dark Age scenarios. This is called New Dark Age Scenarios. More on this below from day one. By the way, a lot of the top politicians belong to this organization. Newt Gingrich is one of them. To be sure, proclaim an Alvin Toffler. To be sure, proclaiming the gloomy truth of the GBN scenario, planned and social engineering future, is not exactly Wired's public mission. Wired is all about the optimism meme, and is committed to catalyzing the creation of a better world, at least for the 5% of the population who are expected to comprise the new information age rulers. This new class even has a name for themselves. They're called the Brain Lords. And what else would the English call information age aristocracy anyway? According to Michael Vlaos, a policy analyst at Newt Gingrich's think tank, the Progress and Freedom Foundation, editorial support for the Gingrich's branch of revolution, as well as consisting uh, backing of his technocratic policy advisors, most notably Alvin Tolver. Remember, uh, Gingrich gave away uh, the book to every congressman on the steps of the Congress uh, of Alvin Toffler. The third wave. The project which preceded wired the whole Earth catalogue and its various offshoots such as computer conferencing system known as the Well and the newer electric mines have been the product of Stuart Brand etc. et al. In 1960s efforts to engineer a utopian counterculture to destroy what was, of course, to take it over, <laughs> which it was hoped would broadly transform society at large. So aren't I confusing my story here? Isn't Brand All-American? No, I don't think so. Scratch a Stuart Brand, and what will you find? Uh, none other, it says here, um, than the English anthropologist Gregory Bateson. Very important guy, of course. And it's from Bateson's lifetime commitment to reprogramming a humanity. Reprogramming a humanity which he deeply despised, and in particular his explicit drive to destroy the religious basis of Western civilization by replacing God with nature, that the whole earth project was born. What did it become? Your greening project, folks. It says, with nature at its center and mankind portrayed as a dangerous ape threatening to destroy all. Basin's British and American intelligence-sponsored takeover of the nascent field of cybernetics in the 1950s from its creator Norbert Weiner. Again, the Unabomber knew all these guys, that's why he was bombing them. Led directly into Bateson's LSD-driven experiments on schizophrenia and creativity in Palo Alto, which in turn were the origins of Key Kisses, Merry Pranksters and their house band, and the Grateful Dead. They were running around doing these experiments. They called it the experiment and uh, gave stacks of, you know, millions of LSD to distribute among society to get them turned on, drop out, while uh, society fell apart around them. That was the whole idea of it. All military guys. 
don't forget that for a second. All these top guys were from the military. Indeed, Stuart Brand's own career as a publicist for what was first conceded of as drug and then computer-based techno-utopian revolution owes much to Bateson's cybernetics guidance. Brand was amongst the first to recognize that personal computers, in fact, he gave the name to it, personal computer, and computer networks might even uh, have even greater potential to reprogram the humans who use them than the psychedelics which fueled his earlier efforts. Indeed, based on Brand's success at promoting LSD at his Trips Festival, he was hired by Doug Egelbart to stage the first mass demonstration of the mouse and Windows system, which Engelbart had invented at the Stanford Research Institute. See, these aren't hippies, folks. Anything but hippies. But they're like you ought to be. Bateson is the son of the English geneticist William Bateson, whose attacks precipitated the suicide of his principal continental rival, Otto Kramerer, as chronicled in Arthur Kessler's case of the midwife toad. Remember, Arthur Kessler worked for MI5. That's disclosed in America's cold, uh, cultural cold war. It's declassified now. And if the English Bateson doesn't satisfy your hunger for proper genealogy for psychedelic San Francisco, one might consider Captain Al Hubbard, no relation to L. Ron, the Johnny Appleseed of LSD. He was born in Kentucky, but by the 50s had renounced his U.S. citizenship and sailed right up to Vancouver, British Columbia, to become a Commodore in their very English yacht club. And, and they still run uh, the, techno, uh, the Technotronics Club from there, basically, Inc., the, the Canadian branch. That's where he set up the World War Room to target the destruction of Western culture through San Francisco and from this base that he joined forces with Humphrey Osmond, English military psychiatrist, military psychiatrist, remember, these are all way up there, lead English MK Ultra researcher and the originator of the term psychedelic. And Aldo Huxley as well, he visited him, English black sheep god, uh, godson of the original techno-utopian H.G. Wells. Did you know he was his godson? You surprised who H.G. Wells' uh, godfather was too. To spread LSD amongst intelligentsia to achieve the world revolution. To be sure, San Francisco's cultural scene has long been shaped by its close association with English Anglophile intellectuals and social engineers. But it's not sufficient to demonstrate the intellectual genealogy of Wired to fully describe their tight affiliation with the English ideology. There's a crucial component of the technological and biologically deterministic utopian worldview at the core of Wired's content, which must be carefully situated as well. Wired's techno-utopianism is merely the modern expression of H.G. Wells' attempts in the first half of the century to construct a technocratic global empire ruled by a new elite much like the audience that Wired seeks to rally behind its now digital but still self-consciously revolutionary banner. In its various forms, following Thomas More's coining of the term utopia in his book, with the publication of his book with, uh, in 1516, utopian writing and indeed utopian social experiments tended to be pastoral and, if anything, uh, anti-technology. It was H.G. Wells who changed all that with his 1905 publication of his novel A Modern Utopia, one of the few of his 20th century works still in print. And it was Wells who initiated the entire inquiry into technology-defined future and indeed launched the field now known as futurism in his seminal 1902 essay, Anticipations. 
It meant you, Wells himself was a front man with professors from Oxford and Cambridge who gave, fed him all this stuff because it was an elite's agenda, you see. Since Wells is properly known as the first true science fiction writer, he lived for 50 years after he completed his cycle of four major sci-fi novels in 1897, when he was preaching in free love, right? Destruction of the family unit. During this half century, he was very busy designing the future of the British Empire, the Third Rome, as he put it, or as Toffler would later put it, the Third Wave. That's uh, Gingrich's favorite book. As a vision of a world knit together by communications and transportation technologies and controlled by a new class of technocrats. What Wells described in volume after volume throughout the rest of his life, both in fiction and essay format, is indistinguishable from the digital revolution wired hopes to lead. It's a post-industrial world that has abandoned the nation-state in favor of Wells' world state that has scrapped the premises of its industrial past, embraced the scarcity of an anti-growth economics, and based itself on the emergence of a newly indoctrinated post-civilization humanity. By the way, that's what Zeitgeist is too. It's part of this movement. And if you didn't know it, they were also the demonstrations of G20, and they want computers to rule over us. Just like the last book uh, put out by Arthur C. Clarke called 3001. After they got rid of all the useless eaters, that's what's in the book, see. Wells had devoted himself to organizing a world revolution based on technology, synthetic religion, synthetic religion, and mass mind control, the same revolution discussed monthly in the pages of Wired. In Wells, a modern utopia, the rulers are called uh, the, the, the new samurai, and they're a caste of scientists-priests who social engineer the global society, Wells called the world state. John Perry Barlow's Wired published Declaration of Independence for Cyberspace would have made Wells very happy. I have no doubt. Yes, that's Wells' world state lurking in the margins of Barlow's manifesto, despite his waffling on the specifics of future forms of governance. Governance. Except to say that the future of politics will be conveniently from the social engineer standpoint post-reason. But I head and straight into the jaws of an overwhelming and categorical contradiction. Wells was certainly no free thinker or free marketeer. He was a professed socialist and wired appeared on its face to be thoroughly free market capitalism. Remember, Wells was born to the Fabian Society that was the very sham that uh, was meant to fool the public that it was for the workers. It was all elitists who ran it. So he's, he's going to explain here what socialism in that sense means. He says, how could I claim any affinity between the British radical liberals and Wells and with both and Wired? Aren't I just gluing together two sets of intellectual forebears who both just happen to be English? How do I avoid the bizarre fusion description favored in my Barbrook Cameron? In the end, doesn't my English ideology argument collapse as just another curious historical accident combined with an overworked imagination? I don't think so. Despite the naked attempt to rescue Wells' socialist legacy in a recent biography by the post-head of the British Labour Party, Michael Foote, who eventually was exposed as a lifelong card-carrying communist party member, Wells was indeed a very strange socialist. Likewise, when the substance of his arguments are carefully considered, Warren states the pose of a very odd sort of capitalist. I'm convinced that they both chose to adopt protective colouring to enhance their stature in their respective times and places, but that just beneath the surface, they are both simply utopian corporatives. 
the same ideological impulse which gave rise to fascism, and not what they may appear to be in the more casual and too often more credulous observer. Both Wired and Wells are in fact utopians and elitists with overarching ambitions of leading a world revolution. This revolution is intended to produce radical economic and political transformation which would put their ilk in charge of running a new worldwide empire. From a strategic standpoint, uh, fundamental goals and premises, Wells, Wired and the common antecedent and anti-human radical liberals were and are all fighting for the same new imperial outcome. While there are certainly many tactical twists and turns in this plot over the centuries, this entire grab bag is precisely what I've been referring to as the English ideology. The ideology behind a global empire which combines an anything-goes-small private life libertarianism with rigidly defined large-scale constraints, technocracy. If you'd like another description of the same utopian yin-yang, and that's a symbol by and technology, the technology inc. is the yin and yang. Would you like another description of the same utopian yin-yang? Refer to Jaron Linear's November 1995 article in the Spin magazine issued on the future of his characterization of the steward, which are technocrats, and the extopians, extropians, which are libertarians, as opposed to political roles or poles of discourse. You see, they brought the computer into you. They gave you the internet. It's all part of it. A radical transformation of society. And everyone has been altered. Remember the definition that Skinner gave to alter uh, humanity and psychology, their habits and their traits. He says, you must put something in their environment that wasn't there before. Everybody's sitting with their keys in front of them, staring at a screen. Hours and hours per day. And you're getting fed lots of propaganda that you think is, is you, you, tentacle, it's designed to capture every mind. But it's designed for a totally different purpose than the one you'd ever, ever think of. Back with more after these messages. Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, reading an excellent article uh, by Mark Stallman, who goes into it. He, he, helps, he helps tie up other things as well that I've gone through, because they're all connected, you see, to do with eugenics, uh, the better types of people who would come through into a new future, how masses must be destroyed because they're using up all the resources of the world, where that's needed for the, the for the elite and their offspring in the future to survive for an awful long time. That this was all about, you see. It says, Wells' dalliance with the Fabian Society, he tried to take it over by promoting free love to the wives of his board members. This is in the 1800s, then in the early 1900s. No kidding. Maybe one of the sort, may I remind you, had a lot of kinks as well. He made some special deals with his wives so that he couldn't disclose and, and divorces, uh, the little strange little things you like to do in uh, the bedroom. Anyway, or get done to him. But as ever, even a cursory reasoning of Wells quickly demonstrates, there was absolutely no room for working class revolt, or certainly working class leadership in Wells' worldview. He was thoroughly convinced that the downtrodden could never lead or even comprehend the revolution he saw coming. In fact, he wanted them all killed off, and he wrote about that too uh, in a modern utopia. They'd sterilize them to make it humane rather than just slaughter them. 
He says, he was thoroughly convinced that the downtrodden could never lead or even comprehend the revolution he saw coming. Wells' life was dedicated to organizing a completely new class of technical and social scientific experts, technocrats, who would assume control of a world driven to collapse by ruin by workers and capitalists alike. But not all the capitalists, because, you see, all the big boys, like, like the Rothschilds and international bankers, were backing them through the Fabian Society and the Royal Institute of International Affairs, just in case you didn't know. Wells wanted to completely reprogram humanity through the creation of a synthetic religion, and like all utopians, had no affection for the commoner of his time at all. Wells considers socialism and its various social democratic uh, to Marxist manifestations to be a string of completely anachronistic failures and a throwback to the era of human folly and self-destruction, which Wells sought to leap past, much like Toffler dismissing nation-states and representative democracy as second wave. In fact, Wells was very clear what sort of corporatist world he wanted when identified uh, the earliest of the multinational corporations as the fledgling. Here you are, you see. He identified the multinational corporations as the fledgling model of his ideal economic organization. International corporations, what was it Quigley said from the CFR? He said the new feudal overlords in his feudal system will be the corporate CEOs of international organizations, companies. In his 1920s novel, The Work of William Chisholm, uh, Chisholm, the companion essay Imperial and the Open Conspiracy, Wells cites early multinationals as the only kind of globe-spanning and therefore anti-nation-state economic structures which could embody his revolutionary principles. Remember, they weren't his. He was just a little front man. He chides both government and business leaders who think that any remnant of the still British nation-centered empire could survive and calls on the heads of multinationals to join in forming the vanguard of his revolutionary open conspiracy. He also published extensively about the inevitable scrapping of democracy, they were post-democratic now, declared by the Club of Rome, right? And the form of popular rule in his world state. And I'll put this link up on my site's CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com at the end of the show. And you can read it for yourself for those who have a retention span of more than 15 seconds. Because if you don't, you'll be distracted by the daily crises that are churned out by the regular media. From Hamish myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's goal with you.